1: Notre Dame fans, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. That's Ryan Roberts. I'm Brian Driscoll. we got a lot to discuss today, Ryan. Today's show, we're going to talk about the injury to Bo Bauer, what that means for Notre Dame defensively, special teams-wise, leadership-wise. We'll dive into that a little bit. Just talk briefly about some of the possible replacements that Coach Freeman discussed today, what we think about who should be the replacements and how the linebacker rotation should look now moving forward. We are also going to get into our keys to victory, which is what the primary focus of this show was supposed to be. It will still be so, but we will discuss the Bo Bauer stuff first. Also want to remind people that we will have another, so our last Ivy IB, uh, IB Nation sports talk show of the week will be tonight. Ryan and I will be together again tomorrow for our uh, prediction show, obviously for Notre Dame, but also some big games this weekend. Had to go- call Vince last night, Ryan, because – There's so many big games this week. We had to kind of break down who was going to cover which games on the Saturday IB countdown, to kickoff show, which is from 10 to noon, and which games we would focus on. There's going to be some carryover, but there will be some games that they're going to spend a lot more time on uh, on Saturday than we will. And, of course, if you are going to be at Notre Dame on Saturday or if you are around town, about three o'clock to three thirty, we is the is the range we're looking at. There's just a lot of factors that be, that are gonna play to it. But if you can get there around three o'clock, we're gonna be somewhere over by the dome. I will tweet out where we are, where we're gonna be set up on Saturday. So we'll be on campus for sure. Gonna have a very important show on Saturday. I want as many people there as possible. I promise you, we can't say what it's what it is, but I promise you it'll be worth it. I promise you that you'll want to be there for that. There's no doubt about it. And so we will go live around three 30. We'll already be set up. The table will be set up. Ryan will still be in Jersey, but I'll be on campus live on location, uh, plan on having some special guests on the show on Saturday. We plan on breaking some news on the show on Saturday. You're going to want to be there live. Just trust me on this one. Just have a little faith in me on this one. But, uh, you know We'll have more detail. You can follow me at Coach D 178 on Twitter. Of course, we'll talk about it on the message boards as well, uh, where you can find that at boards at boards.rshbreakdown.com. It's going to be a lot of fun. I really am looking forward to having a lot of people there. I think the more people that are there in person, there's no charge. There's no cost to you. There's nothing like that. This isn't a money-making scheme. This is simply, this is going to be a cool event, and I want as many people there as possible making some noise and having some fun. So I uh, okay. promise you that it'll be it'll be worth the tea. So if you're tailgating, if you're on campus, make sure you set an alarm to be over by the Golden Dome around, you know, right between three and three thirty. So you'll definitely be part of that.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed.
1: If you love drinking coffee every morning, you have to check out Trade Coffee. Trade makes it super easy to get the best coffee delivered fresh from the finest local roasters around the country. Trade Coffee is a coffee subscription service that makes it so simple for you to discover new coffees and make your best cup of coffee at home every day. No fancy equipment required. Trade partners with the nation's top rated independent roasters to send you coffee that they know you'll love. Fresh to your home and on your preferred schedule and you get to support small local businesses, which is a win-win. Whether you already know what you like or are new to specialty coffee and need some help, Trade makes it easy and convenient to discover new coffees. They'll send you ground coffee or whole beans for however you make coffee at home. My wife likes a dark roast with full flavor, and every brand we've tried has lived up to the billing. Whether it's the Big City Blend from Joe's Coffee, the Black Velvet from Atomic Coffee Roasters, or the Holmes Blend from Sparrow's, Every cup has not only had a pleasing aroma while brewing, but also a rich, full taste. So whether you're just getting started or a coffee aficionado looking to discover something new, Trade guarantees you'll love your first bag or they'll send you a new one for free. Upgrade your coffee today with Trade Coffee and let them take the guesswork out of finding your perfect cup. Right now, Trade is offering our listeners a total of $30 off your subscription, plus free shipping at drinktrade.com irish. That's drinktrade.com slash Irish for $30 off your subscription to the best coffees in the country. That's drinktrade.com slash Irish. Let's begin with the Bo Bauer news. Obviously Marcus Freeman announced today what we learned on Tuesday, which is that Bo Bauer is out for the season. He uh, injured his knee in practice and it was one that was, there was a no doubter. It was going to cost him his final season. It's a very disappointing injury for a, a lot of reasons. One is because it happened this week instead of last week. If it would have happened last week in preparation for BYU, Bo could have had a red shirt because Bo never actually took a red shirt. Bo played as a freshman on special teams. He played five years in their name because of the COVID year, but he could have technically had a chance to get a – because this the, the injury could have then given him a chance for his traditional fifth season. Yeah. So it's a very disappointing loss for Bo. Just to begin with, Ryan, we'll get into the specifics of what's next you know, Bo hadn't been a huge factor on defense this year outside of the goal line, but as we have seen and we saw against BYU in those goal line situations, he was very effective. He'd been very good, but he's a great special teams player. Yes. Yeah, he's a, he's a, a much-needed <sighs> emotional presence on this football team. He is a leader of this football team, and as someone that is associated with the program, told me today the first response was, "He's a Notre Dame man." And mm-hmm. and you know, your you, this is the second one of those that you've lost this year. And you, know, you look at Avery Davis. Was Avery Davis a earth shattering loss from a player standpoint? No. Is Bo Bauer an earth shattering loss from a player production standpoint? No. Are those two two huge losses from a leadership and a character standpoint? I know they're around the team and all that, but it'll be different, especially for the next couple of weeks as Bo is, you know, going to have the surgery and the rehab and all that. It's just harder to be there when you're when you've got the helmet on. You're out there battling with your teammates, and I think more than anything, the special teams and the leadership Ryan is is really going to hurt this team, and, and it, it's gonna it's gonna be a blow to this team. I shouldn't say it's going to hurt the team as if it's going to you know, and ensure that bad things are going to happen. It just, it's a law. It's a big, big loss that they're going to have to work hard to try and overcome.
2: Yeah. I mean, Bo's a glue guy, man. Like he is on this team, right? Like he's that guy that every day during practice, every game, no matter how much he's playing, how little he's playing, what his role in the team is, you know that he's going to be there and he's going to be there with energy, right? Like that's the biggest thing that Bo Bauer has exemplified. He's a great Great leader on this team, a guy that is well-respected by his teammates. And like you said, Brian, he's probably Notre Dame's best coverage player as far as from a special teams perspective, right? Like this kid is – he runs down like a bat out of hell and on on kickoff, on punts. Like he is that dude for this team. So really sad news to hear for a guy that has done everything that you he has been asked to do. Right? Did he ever develop into a great linebacker at Notre Dame? No, he didn't. But what he did was he did every single thing that this coaching staff has ever asked of him, and he did it with a smile on his face, and he did it with energy. And this is a – it's a loss. It is a loss from a special teams perspective. But more importantly, it's a loss because he is a great leader, a great young man, and he is what Notre Dame should be from a right. person perspective. So it is a loss, and it's very sad. I'm just, I'm just really – Really sad in Ford for Bo because he's, for again him. he's done yeah. everything that he's supposed to be doing it for the yeah. team.
1: Well, you talk about he's never really developed into an, an, an impact linebacker, and I think that even speaks more volumes about the fact that he was able to become a captain and such a leader of yes. the team as a non-starter. Yep, I mean Bo's never really started at middle linebacker except for a couple ga- a game this year, a couple games this year when when JD Bertrand was you know out because of targeting. Mm -hmm. Bo has never really been a starter on special team or I mean on defense and yet was still able to become a key team leader and and key captain of this football team and emotionally this football team which again says a lot for a kid who's in all for all intents and purposes a backup to earn the kind of role that he has as a leader of this football team and I just think it speaks volumes about him as a young man. Yep. And if you've ever met his parents, uh, you you're like, okay, yeah, I get it. Very just a great family, you know, just, and it just stinks. It stinks for him. It stinks for the team. Uh, but look, they, they've also got games to still play. Right. Yep. And, and, you know, I guarantee Bo Bauer be the first one to say, to start talking about next man in. And that's kind of what the conversation is here. It'll be a little easier to, to, to replace him on defense. I mean, I, I think there's sure. several options. Number one, uh, obviously, just the next Mike linebackers. J.D. Bertrand stopped getting kicked out of games for targeting. That makes things a lot harder, number one. I think just maybe a few more snaps for, snaps for J.D., which may not be a bad thing, Ryan. I just feel like maybe J.D. hasn't been able to get into a flow this year just because of all the rotating and packages and all that kind of stuff. It's harder for younger players to get into the flow of a game because they just don't have the experience that that NFL players have. that are able to do those type of things. Obviously, Junior 2 Alamaka is a guy that could have a chance to get some more snaps. And something that Coach Freeman brought up today at the beginning, and I don't know if he said – if he was talking about Prince first in response to the question, which was leading to talk about Prince first, or if he would have done it anyway. But the conversation was about Prince Collie. And does does this present more opportunities for Prince Collie to play at Mike Linebacker? I don't want that to be the case to be honest with you, because right now, with the way that Maris Lufau is playing, I think Prince needs to get a lot of the snaps at will, and I think they need to have J.D. and Junior be more of a factor of Mike, in my opinion. Uh, I, I don't want Jack Kaiser to be more of an interior presence. I, I know people have talked about it, and he's had some good snaps at will, but Ryan, you and I were talking about how much he struggled at, at you know, playing inside against Cal. Remember the bad fits he had against Cal in North Carolina? Yes, he played well against BYU. I still don't think Jack is a is a ideal inside player. He's about the same size as Drew White. He just doesn't pack the same punch that Drew had as an inside player. And yep. so I think you're hurting Jack by moving him inside. I think Jack is good where he is. Let him be a rover, play inside and in passing downs, and then and then that's that needs to be his role. I hope that it's more of Bertrand Tuyalamaka. Now, the concern is this is a very complex defense. Somebody asked me today to describe Al Golden. And I think you're gonna you're gonna get this. He's a competent version of what Brian Van Gorder thought he was, <laughs> right? So Brian Van Gorder struggled as bad as he did, not because of his complexity of his defense, just because he's not a good football coach. He's a bad football coach. Al Golden is cut from a similar cloth in that he's a guy that's been in the NFL a while, and he's trying to to be more really complex and putting different defenses in every week, and and just trying to treat this more like the NFL than college football. And the group that struggled the most and had the biggest issue with that has been the linebacker position, which is why mm-hmm. we've seen the regression that we've seen. And so now, you, you're, what you, my concern is he's just going to start moving the veterans around to fill that role, as opposed to saying, hey, we've got this six foot two, 240 pound kid. We're about to play some teams coming up Syracuse, Clemson, Navy teams like that where you're going to need a kid like that to, to really be a factor. Let's get him rolling. You know, let's get him going. If that means we got to maybe scale back some stuff when he's in the game, then flip and scale back some stuff, right? That's what good coaches do. Yeah. And so uh, that's my fear is that they're not going to do that, that they're going to choose to play the veterans because the veterans know what to do. Mm-hmm. And that's
2: my concern. It's going to be interesting to watch, man. Like I'm just to your point, Brian, I think the natural thing is, and we agree 100% on this, right? I, I think that we, we've we said both on the show the last couple of days, even dating back to the postgame show on Saturday, like Prince Collie needs to play more. But I'm also on in the agreement that Prince might be a Mike long term if he keeps getting bigger, right? Like he could be that guy. But right now, I think he needs to play well. I think he, he does. does and especially because Maris Leifel has struggled in his own right, right? So it can't just be a thing where Maris is just your de facto starter and then you're rotating the mic. Like Maris needs to be pressured a little bit too as far as, you know, guys challenging for some playing time, right? So I agree with you. Keep Prince there. Don't mess with that. Junior Toilovak is the easy answer for me, right? Like he's a natural mic. He's a freshman, sure, but you have a guy like J.D. Bertrand in front of him who's a senior, right, who's – we just talked about it yesterday. He had 100-plus tackles last year as a junior. Like, he's played football, and he's played pretty good level of football for most of the time at Notre Dame. Like, obviously, there's been up and down, especially this year. But you have a guy with experience in front of him to bring along a guy like a yeah. junior to a Lamarca. It's not like you're throwing two freshmen into the old fold and being like, oh, sink or swim time. Like, you have some insurance with the with the J.D. Bertrand, but then you have a junior to a Lamarca who – should be the next man up because, to your point, you need that 6'2", 240-pound hammer at some point. Like You're going to need that guy, right? So this is an unfortunate circumstance with Bo Bauer, but kind of like the injury to Kevin Bowman, this could open up opportunities for a really talented younger player. And I hope that Notre Dame takes advantage of that because I think we saw in the spring, in fall practice, that Junior Toyo Maka is ready to play some snaps. Is he ready to start full-time? Probably not, but he should be able to come in and give you some snaps. So I'm very interested to see if that is the answer because I I think it should be, right? Like I don't think – the biggest concern I have, and you mentioned it already, is that they're like, oh, we're just going to rotate Jack Heiser inside more, and it's just like that's not not the answer, right? It's not the answer. I don't think it is, yeah. I mean, because look,
1: Bo played 25 snaps against Ohio State. He played 24 snaps against Marshall. The next three games, he played nine, seven, and six. Those are the snaps that you're replacing on defense. It's it's those, and and so it's not like you're having to to find a way to replace thirty snaps, right? It's a it's a couple snap. It's like six to nine snaps a game. In the last three games, yep. you know, Junior Two Alamak in the last two games has played three and two, okay, and and two, three and two, mostly goal line situations, okay. So hey, here's what you do. It's real simple give him those extra six to eight snaps a game. I mean, that, that's... So, that's So he plays like you, 10 snaps a game. Like yes, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's where you've been. Now, you know, we've seen Jack Kaiser play inside more. Perhaps the thinking could be, hey, look, we're going to have Prince rotate both spots. I don't think that... Like, my fear is that they're going to have ask, try to ask Prince Kali to play both spots and rotate mm-hmm. it in both spots. I think that would be a big mistake because Prince is still a sophomore. He's still learning this defense. He's starting to get comfortable at will. Don't mm-hmm. now thrust another huge responsibility on his shoulders. And that's my fear is what's going to happen. Knowing how the staff has handled things, the fact that even they're too deep is a dead giveaway of the way they're thinking, where like Jack Kaiser, and JD Bertrand are like at every position yeah. as either starters or backups is like they're going to get their veterans in. And I think then then you put him in the game and then lo and behold, Prince is going to struggle trying to play two different positions as a true sophomore. When your senior returning starters are struggling to figure out they're, they're that the ability to do that. And it's just going to continue to be what we've seen all year. That's my that's my worst case scenario situation, and I think yeah. it's that's why I think it's just simple is to let JD play Mike, let Junior play Mike, let Prince and Maris play Will, let Jack play Rover, and then let Jack I think Jack Kaiser is the guy that probably has shown the best ability to move around and be mm-hmm. somewhat competent at different positions. Although again, he's had his struggles this year too. You know, I think maybe you have him because the other thing is what hurts you too is the loss of Prince of the loss of Tariq Bracey for this game. Because if Tariq Bracey was back, you know, maybe not this game, you know, you may not have done it, but in future games, you can just start playing more nickel. Uh, You know, because you can play a lot more nickel against UNOV, you can play a lot more nickel against Clumps, and you can play a lot more nickel, especially against like USC and teams like that, right? To where you could then have your rotation inside being you know, Marist and, and Jack at Will and then Prince and JD at Mike. You know, something yeah. like that could be an option. But end of the day, I still feel like the best option is to let Prince continue to get comfortable at Will and then let Junior get those six to nine snaps a game that Bo was playing, right? I mean, yeah. that's what... I just I just don't see the need to start moving a bunch of guys around to to, to take over six to nine snaps. It just doesn't make a lot of yeah. sense to me.
2: And, really and the linebacker... Linebacker group as a whole has struggled this year, Brian, for the yeah. vast majority, right? Yeah. So I, I think asking guys to do multiple things is not the answer to making that better, right? Like you need That's to right. departmentalize, compartmentalize, and ask a guy to play specific roles in your defense and make them good at one particular right. thing. But Prince Codley's had some success playing Will over the last couple of games. Don't. Ruin that momentum, right? Like, just keep him where he's doing. Keep him comfortable. Let him get more – let him get faster. Like, he's going to get faster as he gets more experienced. Sees things a little quicker. Don't mess with that maturation because that's the one – I mean, even though it's been limited, like, Prince has been a bright spot for your linebacker room in a room that has had its struggles, right? So do not ask guys to do too much. Departmentalize and create specific roles for players. I think that's right. how you get the most out of this team right now, or most out of the group, yeah. I should say.
1: What's frustrating is, is they continue to do it even despite all the struggles. It's like they're just thinking that at some point in time the light's gonna go on and they're gonna figure it out. And maybe it does. Right. But I think the fact that you did that is why your linebackers play so bad against Marshall, which had a huge role in your victory. If mm-hmm. the and look, there's a lot of reasons Narium lost to Marshall. A lot. So I'm not trying to say this is the only reason. I'm simply saying if there's there's three positions on this team that if against Marshall, if just that position alone would have played better, they'd have won. Right, quarterback was one. Right, Tyler had two big misses in that game. Where if he makes those throws, I they win the game. Okay, Mm -hmm. not Mm -hmm. it's not all his fault. There's it was a team loss. I'm just simply saying. Three groups, that if they just would have played better, this team wins. Second one is the offensive line. Yes. If they would have played Marshall better against Marshall, with everything else being the same, they would have won the game. And the third is linebacker. If the linebackers would have played better against Marshall, just the linebackers on defense and just played good football, not even great football, they played bad football, they win this game because they'd have stopped the third and long. You know, at their, at their own – when they were at 15-12, they wouldn't have given up some of the long runs to Kalen Laborn. They'd have played better football. And the reason is, is because they're asking these guys to do a lot yeah. and that's a mistake. And then they don't do the same stuff week after week. They change their defense up. I mean, Ryan, you watch the film. They're mm-hmm. asking these linebackers to, to do different things every single week. And I'm not talking about adjusting to what the team I'm talking like, this is looks like a new defense, Yeah, you know, and, and that's asking a lot of, of a bunch of kids who really only have one year starting under their belt. And in the, in, in the instance of, of Maris Lufau and Prince Collie very little, I mean, no starts under their belt, right? Maris had, what, one in 2020? Yep. So mm-hmm. I just think that was a, a tactical mistake that they have just kind of said, we're just going to keep chugging along. And and that's why I'm my fear. Now, if, if I'm wrong and they say, hey, look, this injury forces us to kind of do this, then great, that's actually a blessing. Yeah. But I just don't, I don't have optimism that that's going to be the case, to be honest with you. Right? Okay.
2: And that's... See what happens, man. Let's yeah, see, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's going to be. It's uh, Brian. I mean, I'm at the point with the linebackers where it's like it can't get much worse, right? Like it can't get much worse. It can it only can. get better, right? It well, can,
1: and that's the thing is that's the concern is it can. Uh, you know, uh, scary, scary I, I, to think. Scary yeah, to think. I mean, it can Let me look. It can. They can start making more mistakes. They can start making more. Yeah, they can miss more tackles. There's a lot of different things that can go into this, Ryan. Because yeah, it's one of those things where it's not to the point yet where it can where where we can say, "Oh, you know, hey, look, uh, it, it can't get worse." Yeah, Ken, sadly, and, they, and that's up to the staff to make it look. Look, Al Golden's a really smart guy, mm-hmm. and Tommy Reese is a really smart guy. The problem is, is I just think both, for different reasons, are are making this too much about how smart they are and not putting enough emphasis on what can my guys do Mm because a lot of the big plays a lot of the mistakes are because you put a guy in position to do something that he should not have been in position to do or that's the case of Jaden mickey which they've done twice now for game-changing touchdowns yeah or you have put so much on your linebackers plates that they just can't execute simple things that we've seen them execute for two years right and so when that's happening that's that's where I hope that Mark, what Marcus Freeman said in his press conference on Monday is true, where he's like, we have to look at ourselves first as coaches. And if you're not willing to do that and then say, hey, look, because look, the lights eventually gonna go on for these guys. For sure. But what's what's the, gonna be the cost beforehand? And that's that's my concern. Yeah. You know, because you can beat Stanford with bad, linebacker, bad line, you can beat Stanford bad linebacker play. Dude, they beat BYU in North Carolina with bad linebacker play. And and those teams are better than Stanford. It's not about that. It's it, this is why I always say you got to be process driven, not results driven. Because mm-hmm. if you're just result results driven, like, hey, look, we just beat North Carolina BYU, two really good football teams, and you did. But if you if you'd have played the way you did the last two weeks against Marshall, you'd be four and one right now. If you yeah. play the way you did the last two weeks against Clemson, you're gonna get a loss. If you play the way you did the last two weeks against USC, especially the way you played against BYU, you're gonna lose. You know, and that's the thing is it's not about did you do enough to be BYU? It's it's did you did you play to the Notre Dame standard? Are you doing things that are allowing your players to maximize their potential? And on both sides of the ball right now, this football program is not doing that. And yes, they're getting better. They're progressing. But there's still too many things from a coaching standpoint that are holding them back. And it's not lack of experience at head coach. It's not those. It's your coordinators are still trying to show everyone how smart they are. Mm-hmm. and and that's you know that's what's happening at Alabama right now with their offense is you have an offensive coordinator that tries to show everybody how smart he is and then he outthinks his own players and that's how you barely beat Texas A&M right mm-hmm. and then you have other offenses that are just like hey what can our, our guys do well let's thrive at that and then we're going to go out there and be successful and so that's kind of you know that kind of the bow injury kind of led to this rant but that's my big concern going into this game is you got to find that balance between how smart you are, and, and 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 the 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 there's a breaking point for your players on how much you can give them before they start you start having, you know, it starts paying negative dividends, and that's the issue that we've seen at line, and it's been the issue of defensive line at times too, Ryan, mm-hmm. where the defensive line you can clearly see there's a lot of thinking going on, and those are positions that you cannot have that at all reactionary positions. Yep, agreed. So Ryan, let's next get into the. Keys to the game. Mm-hmm. And this is a game where for Notre Dame, where it's a, as you said, it's a get right game. It can You can look at it as a jump game, which means your team can take a big jump. It's also a game that can be a stumbling block. Yep. Because, you know, Coach Freeman talked about today, you know, the film is a lot better than the results. And to a degree, he's right. They're a little better than one and four, but not much. They should have beat Oregon State. They should be two and three. So technically, he's right. They should be a two and three football team right now. But they're not because they're just not a really good football team. However, as we said earlier in the week, they are a dangerous football team because they are good enough in spots that if you don't play well and you don't and you don't kind of minimize the areas where they're strong, they can make this a game. And then you're a mistake here, a mistake there away from losing. Because listen, if you can lose to Marshall, you can lose to Stanford. Right. Sure. And and this is another one of those games that even more so than the last couple games, Ryan, that we're going to learn a lot about this team. And here's what I mean by that. It's not hard to get up for the Carolina game. They were undefeated and blowing people out, and scoring 50 points a game. It was easy to get ready for that game. The BYU game, same way. You're going away from home to Vegas, number 16 team in the country. You know, in they're, the, yeah, they're yeah. a good football team. I mean, it's easy to get up for that one. The last couple times we've seen Notre Dame get on the field against in clearly inferior opponents, they didn't play well. They didn't play well against Marshall. They didn't play well against Cal. They did enough to win against Cal. But they didn't play well, not for four quarters. So we are going to learn if this team is ready, if this team is truly grown by how they play. And if they come out and they are a more mature team, a more focused team, they have built on that. They're not the team that we saw against Marshall and Cal, which I don't think they are. Mm-hmm. Then this team's going to come out and roll today or t- Saturday. If they're not, then they're going to stumble and bumble and and they're, I, I, I'll be shocked if they lose. To be honest with you, I will. But this is a game where you 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 know you can't. You this is a game where if you're not playing your backups in the fourth quarter, then you're you're doing something wrong in my opinion. So we're going to break down the keys to making that happen, Ryan. Yep. And we're going to first start with the offense. The biggest one, Ryan. It's it's we're gonna we're gonna put two into one. And I'm going to say what the keys are and allow you to kind of expand on it. We're going to put two into one because they're sort of repeats of last week, but we think they're very important, not just for this game, but big picture for Notre Dame. Notre Dame has scored six points on, on offense in the first half, first quarter of games this year. So the first key is about getting a fast start, and that mm-hmm. starts with controlling the line of scrimmage, which means establishing the ground attack, giving Drew Pine time to, time to play. They've got to come out and immediately – Start fast, and the fast start needs to be built around the controlling line of scrimmage, right? That is where this game. I mean, ultimately, we could have stopped right there, but that is absolutely the first key to this game for Notre Dame.
2: I mean, it's it's the it's the number one key for both sides of the coin, too, Brian. Because it's like Notre Dame has not done that well, right? Like they have not got off to great starts, and on the other side of it, Stanford has actually played pretty tough during the early stretches of football games, right? Like they're usually fading in the second half because there's lack of depth or talent at certain positions. Like that's where they kind of hit their their breaking point and they tend to break the bad way, right? So in both instances, Notre Dame needs to get off to a a great start because, one, they need to change it up on their own end, right? Like they need to show that they can grow in that department. And number two, if you get up on a Stanford team that typically loses its fizz down the stretch of a game – you're going to have that blowout win, man, yep. because they're, they're going to – I don't want to say give up, but like they're going to hit a breaking point. They're on the
1: verge of it, Ryan, and they we are, saw it last year. They, yeah. they battled. They had some close, tough losses, but after a while, I just like, dude, what the heck? Yeah, it's and like – And then they just got destroyed in every game they played in down the stretch.
2: After you get to a 1-4 and four record, Brian, where yeah. your one win is over a, a not-great football team, Colgate. right? Yeah, exactly. I didn't want to – they didn't want to throw shit at the Colgate. At, at the, well, uh, I mean –
1: we're not going to throw shade at the name, I know, I'm just, kidding. I'm just but kidding. the team stinks. It's FCS team. stinks. Yeah. Patriot they're not, they're League, not, FCS they're team. not a good football yeah. team, right? I mean, they're just—they're yeah. just—they're not even a good—they're not even a good FCS team. Forget the fact that you know how they. I mean, they're a one in four FCS team.
2: Is that all they are? Is one and four. Yeah. Oh yeah, well, they, so lo-
1: they beat Maine the next. They—they they lost to Stanford. Then the next week, they beat Maine. Then they lost at Penn 25-14. Then they lost at Holy Cross 35 to 10. And then they lost to Cornell 34 to 10. Then they play Army
2: this weekend. So mm. they're about to be one and five. <laughs> oh man, it's not great. Yeah. It's not great. No, it's not good. But it's gonna be it's it's gonna be easier at this point for a Stanford team to kind of tap out, right? Like it's gonna be that way, especially if you get up early for a team that loses steam down the stretch. Notre Dame needs one of these games, right? Mm-hmm. They've, they've now gotten two straight weeks where they got good victories. One was a convincing victory over North Carolina. The other should have been a convincing victory over BYU, but you let them back – you let both teams back sort of into the football game, but you absolutely mm-hmm. let BYU back into the football game. So this is a game where if Notre Dame plays their brand of football and they start fast and they start with urgency early on in this football game – you can bury this team. So I think that's the biggest thing, Brian, is not even just for Notre Dame's sake, but when you look at how Stanford has played football this season, because, again, USC, they were playing tough early. Then mm-hmm. you hit a point, and it's just like you're done after that point. Oregon State, they got off to an early lead in Oregon State, and then you let them come back and you fizzle it at the end, right? Start out fast, and for a team that has not been a second-half team, has not been a team that can can withstand adversity in ball games. Put them in the adversity early and put your throat on the neck, as a lot of people would say this chat.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, you look at Stanford last year, to back up the point, Ryan, they started well last year. I think they were 4-3-2 and two at one point in time. Then they had a somewhat tough loss to Arizona State, 28-10. They lost by three points to Washington State, lost by seven to Washington, and then they just collapsed. Utah destroyed them, and then that was kind of the moment they just kind of stopped really being that team. And then Notre Dame, I mean, Notre Dame didn't even play that great against Stanford last year, beat them 45 to 14, Yep. you know, and, and just rolled them. So they're not a good football team, but they have talent. And that's the whole point. And the last thing you do, you can do to a team like this is allow them to think, Hey, we have a shot, you know, to, to your point. And I think, and then also, it's also about building momentum for the future, Ryan, like you, You can't be a team that that scores six points in the first quarter every five games. You can't. You've got to have that. You've got to figure out what are the buttons we're not pushing early that are going to result in us getting more early scores, right? Right. What is it? Now, part of it is Notre Dame goes at a slower pace. So a lot of times their second, you know, they're deferring a lot and other, you know, so their second possession, a lot is happening in the second quarter. That's also a, a, a fact as well, but still not enough for you to only have six points in the first five games. Right. So I think that is going to be important. And then as we mentioned yesterday, seeing the offensive line is got to be the vessel through which you, you do kind of have the no moss moment for Stanford. I mean, that's really what it's got to be about. It's, you know, it's one thing to hit some big plays in the past game. That's important, but the true way to put a team away is just to beat them up physically. And this line has shown that it's better. Is it, is it good enough to do that? I don't know. We're going to find mm-hmm. out, you know, we're going to find out, but I want to see that, that continued
2: evolution of that unit as well. I feel like, and I completely, completely wrong about this. I'm trying to like think back to the game so far, but I feel like Notre Dame offensively, has had a lot of three and outs to start football games this season. Am I wrong there? Because obviously they had a sustained drive against Ohio State. They got a field goal, mm-hmm. right? Against Marshall, I want to say they went three and outs, if I remember correctly. I'm trying to remember. BYU kinda- they
1: they went down. They they were three and out against North Carolina. Yep. They went three and out against um against uh Cal. Cal. Yeah, because yeah. remember they had the drops. Yeah, uh, Marshall. I don't remember. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna look at that one now. I don't. I'm not saying you're you're wrong. I'm just. I just yeah. truly don't remember.
0: Yeah. Um, well, you know, I think you
1: know, Notre Dame went seven plays for thirty yards. Rem- yes. Now I remember. Okay. Uh, they came out thrown twenty five. Buckner hit Lindsey on a hitch. Then they had a run for no game. Then he hit uh, third and five. He hit Styles. I think on like a little slide route for five yards. Mm-hmm. Then he hit uh, Styles went for sixteen. I think was on a little like RPO. I believe where he went for sixteen. Then incomplete to Jaden Thomas. Uh, Aldrich estimate run for minus one and third and 11, Tyler Buckner ran for five. And then they punted from the Marshall 45. Gotcha. So, gotcha. but then they went down, turnover on downs, the next drive, nine plays 28 yards. And then they were three and out on their next drive. So even though they weren't three and out, Ryan, they were, they fizzled their first yes. three drives. They did. Yeah. They really didn't threaten to score. I mean, the, 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 their closest they got to threatening to score was getting the ball fourth and fourth, the Marshall 31 and, and on fourth down and you go for it, you don't get it right so that's um yeah it, it it backs up your point even though technically it wasn't a three and out. but yes and, and honestly I mean you were a broken play I mean you had a broken busted play against Ohio State that went for 54 yards and then you quickly went three and out after that play and settled for a field ball. sure sure right yeah. I mean so it doesn't necessarily take away from your point
2: I, I guess where I was going with it Brian is that the fast start for Notre Dame has to be an offensive fast start right and that's obviously what we're talking about now but like Defense, for the most part, has done their job in that department. There's, you know, I mean, they gave up a touchdown, I think, on the first or second drive to North Carolina, right? If I remember correctly. But
0: mm-hmm. Ohio
2: State, obviously, you, you held them on the first drive. And you, I'm just thinking about, you know, offense, like, where does this spark come from? Where does the early right. start come from? It has to come from the offense. It has to, because that's the part of the game, you know, for the most part of the season that hasn't been holding up their part of the bar, right? Game, right? But especially early on in games. They have not been a team that has come out of the gates and been sharp, been methodical. We need Notre Dame to have a really good a really cohesive start to the offensive side of the right. football.
1: Well, I mean, you talk about the the struggles that uh, you talk about the defense giving up points, you know, they gave up six points to BYU in the last game, but that was because the offense punted on a relatively short field out, kicked yep. the coverage. And they had a long punt return to set up a score. Yep. You know, North Carolina put a really long drive together, but Cal didn't score in the first quarter. Matter of fact, Cal didn't score until their fifth position. Uh, let's see. One, two, three, four, fifth possession of that game. Cal didn't score until their fifth possession. They went three and out, three and out, three and out, missed field goal touchdown and so your defense did its job against cal yep. you know you look at you look at uh marshall their their first touchdown drive didn't come until their third possession they went three and out their first game uh, uh first drive they went uh, six plays for 19 yards and turned it over on downs in their third drive then scored a touchdown on their second drive then scored a touchdown on the third drive then three and out five plays in a punt and then a field goal so like you know they had nine points at halftime to your point the defense isn't the reason that you're three and two right now yep. the offense is and and here's the thing that's key to this right the fast start then benefits your defense because i think one of the issues on defense right now is i believe there's an understanding of there's a very thin margin for error yeah and i think that they understand that now in the last couple of games that hasn't necessarily been there the offense has kind of come out and, and eventually started putting teams away but if you can start building that confidence in your defense where you're, you know, after the first couple possessions, you're up 14 nothing. all of a sudden the defense starts saying, hey, you know, our offense came to play today, and it fires up the outside of the ball, too. So there's just a lot of reasons why starting fast is important for Notre Dame. Point number two, mm-hmm. Notre Dame has a significant speed advantage against the Stanford defense, and they need to utilize it with their game plan and their execution. This manifests in a lot of ways, Ryan. The pre-snap, pre-snap movement in this game is the first area we talk about. I think that's got to be an important thing. I think you can do a lot of things formationally, motions and shifts. And then, you know, even like little things like we saw last year, the little short motion with Braden Lindsay to get him off the press and then, you know, run him on an inside post route, bam, touchdown. You know, uh, moving Kevin Austin in motion, then sending him on drags and overs. Doing things where you're using your motion to get your guys free because Stanford does have some size at corner. They can kind of beat you up off the line, do some things with movement pre-snap that then allow you to get post-snap, you know, speed going. Because running back and a receiver, Notre Dame has a significant speed advantage in this game. They need to utilize it, and 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 it's the, it's a game plan thing. If the game plan is 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 thinking about that and saying, hey, we can outspeed these guys, let's figure out ways to do it. You know, I, I loved what Tommy Reese said yesterday. He's like, look, Braden lindsay has been open a lot. He said it yesterday. He's like we're just not getting in the ball. And I was glad he said it because it's one of the biggest frustrations I have with a lot of fans who only watch games on television. Mm-hmm. They look at Braden's numbers like, ah, he's not doing anything. Well, if you're at the game, like we are, you see this kid is open a lot down the field. The quarterback's just not looking for him. Well, okay. Then start doing more things as the, you know, off, the, off, the off as the offensive coordinator to get him in position where it's easier for the quarterback to see him do right. him on screens, jets, crossers overs where he's the primary, you know, guy at that spot, let him get a couple of those seam routes that right now are going to maybe some other guys and let him catch and run. And so when you talk about using your speed, it's about using Chris Tyree using Brayden Lindsay and using Lorenzo styles to get them in some catch and run opportunities. If they can get those three kids in some catch and run opportunities and some well-designed schemes, then you're going to start seeing some of the big plays that this team has really not been able to consistently hit so far.
2: Yeah, I mean, I love I love the the pre snap mo- movement as well, Brian. To your point, right? I call it maximizing release points. Like, there's some guys that you don't want on the line of scrimmage because against press, against physicality, they're not going to do as well. But there's a way to get guys free run into space. They make to to manipulate that space to manufacture that space, and I I mean. Even if Caillou Blue Kelly was playing a more significant role than he's probably going to end up playing, you still have a speed advantage, right? Like he's a good corner, obviously. He's a really good player. But you still have, and we've talked about this back in the summer, you still have 4-4 flat-ish Brayden Lindsay. You still have 4-4 something-ish Lorenzo Styles. You still have 4-3-ish Chris Tyree. There is so much speed on this Notre Dame offense that has not been maximized into this point and especially in this football game like man we've talked about Michael Mayer a lot especially last week after the performance he had right but this is another this could be another tight end game it can be because what's what's the second level of Stanford's defense it's not too athletic after like it, you know outside of like a Tristan Sinclair if he plays a decent mm-hmm. amount it's like they they just do not have speed on the second level so you have speed differences at every single spot running back against linebackers or even defensive backs, if they want to put him out there against Chris Tyree in the passing game, wide receivers against the cornerbacks, tight ends against the linebackers. There are speed advantages everywhere on the field. Yeah. This is the game where you unlock some of that speed and you you hit one, man. Yeah. Like someone asked the other day, is this the game where Brian Lindsay has a couple of big plays? It it can be, and it should be, if we're being honest. Like this is the game where he has a clear speed advantage. There's no doubt about it. He, I mean – because Brayden Lindsey has been open, I mean, against Ohio State that has this talented secondary, right? That has some speed on the back end. Against every team on the schedule, there's been opportunities. They just have not hit those big plays consistently. This is the game where you take advantage of the speed opportunities. Whether it is the vertical stuff, if you can hit a couple of them, whether it is end arounds, jet sweeps, whatever, use your speed advantage. Notre Dame has a clear advantage in that in that uh, barometer of this game.
1: When I, you talk about Caillou Blue Blue Kelly, he's a good football player. And and he is. He's one of the better corners in the schedule. But do you know the team that had the the third most yards against him last year and had the second most completions against him last year?
0: There's Notre Notre Dame. Dame.
1: (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Tommy Reese went after him last year. And it was with a lot of those things where he was getting guys, he was getting because Caillou is a really fundamentally sound player. He's a technician, he's got some size, he's not a burner. No. You know, he's closer to being like a Julian Love type than he is to being a, you know, a, a Tariq Bracey type, right? A guy that's just like really fast, you know, and, and or Troy Pride, I think is is what I meant to say, instead of Tariq Bracy. He's more Julian Love than he is Tariq Bracey. Would you agree with that as a player? Yeah. What I loved about the game last year is, is Coach Reese had no fear of him last year because he's like, okay, that's fine. He's a really good player, but he's not as good as Kevin Austin. He's not as good as Braden, Braden Lindsey, and we're going to go after him. And he yeah. did. And and especially now he's coming off of an injury. There's no reason to avoid him, nah. because again, as you said, now are you should you be going after him with comeback routes and and a bunch of go routes and a bunch of stuff where it's about winning with on the perimeter with just vertical stuff? No, not really. Maybe you can beat him on that off a of play action or something. Maybe give him a double move. I'd like to see that. I'm, you know, I'd love to see Braden Lindsay get used on a hitch and go instead of just running straight go routes, you know, do something where if you got a one-on-one, because the thing people have to understand is if you get in a situation where you've got a one-on-one to the field or the boundary and you don't really have safety help, you don't have to be as precise with your route. You can do more things in that instance. You can do double moves because you're just getting that ball out there. You're there's you're not working off anybody else. Like a lot mm-hmm. of times you say, look, man, you can't do all the, you know, that, that stuff you do in one-on-ones at the camp because... I've all I'll, I'll say this, you'll see these kids at these summer camps, and there's all these triple moves. I'm like, dude, you better hope you have the world's greatest offensive line on that particular route because you did 18 different moves to finally, yeah, I got open though. Yeah, after nine seconds, that's right.
2: A, like, man, that's like the Senior Bowl stuff where people yeah. go bananas for these one-on-one routes. Like, I remember the, the kid that came out of UMass. What was his name a couple of years ago? The small white kid that was really fast. But he was yeah, one of routes. Andy, uh, Andy, Andy Isabella. Yeah. Andy Isabella. Andy Isabella was getting open all day in these one-on-ones because it took him, like, six seconds after doing right. 27 different moves. It's like, guys, that's not translatable to the right. football field. Just here Or before.
1: they'll do all these moves, and it's like that. But you're working off other routes. You guys are running a high-low concept here. If you don't get to your mark, then – you're blowing up the whole play. Or if you do this move to get this wide release, now you're running a vertical concept where your receiver's like this far apart because, hey, I won off the line. Yeah, you want off the line because you ran around the flipping guy, right? So you, when you're in a one-on-one with a vertical shot outside, you don't have that. It's just like, dude, win, yes. right? And that's And the coaches can help by doing a slant and go, by mm-hmm. doing a hitch and go, by doing something like that. Or here's the thing, motion into a stack. And then release a guy and then, you know, do it that way or do a post snap switch or something like that. There's a lot of different things you can do to get cleaner releases for a player who's not a great, you know, he's 185 pounds. He's not a great, you know, Braden Lindsey doesn't have elite functional strength as a wide receiver. You know, it's no. just that's not his game. So stop asking him to play that way. You know, same thing with Lorenzo Styles. It's like, look, there are some things you need to do to get him to catch the ball on the run. And then he's got to make the catch, obviously. Like they did that against Cal, and he, you know, they missed him once and then and then he dropped the other one, right? So it's not like they haven't done it. It's just you need to keep doing that and then do some of those things for Brain Lindsay. You because this is the game where it's got to happen, right? Yeah. And so I think if they are if 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 coach and I think he said something a, a few weeks ago in a press conference when I asked about Tobias Mereweather, he was like, I think is he saying a press conference? I can't remember, but there was there's something I he either said it or I had somebody tell me. That's how he felt. I can't remember which one it was, but he talked about there's a really small margin for error right now, this offense. And three weeks ago, that was actually true. I didn't, my whole thing is stop coaching scared, right? Like Mm -hmm. put your best guy out there and, you know, just a difference of philosophy. But he was right. There was a small margin for error because of the players he was choosing to put on the field. Sure. With the way that
2: self inflicted. Correct. Right. Right. With the
1: way that the offense has played in recent weeks, I think it's obvious that the margin for error is wider now. Mm-hmm. with the way Drew's playing with the way the offensive line is playing especially the offensive line is playing there's a wider margin for error. You know, where against Ohio State you had a couple chances to hit shots and you got to hope cross your fingers that the offensive line protects on that play and they didn't. You know, and and so you missed on those opportunities, but your margin for error is a little wider now because you're playing better and the competition is not good. Right. I would argue this is probably the second worst defense they're going to play all year. I mean, all up to this point, up to this yeah. point. Yeah. Uh, I would argue that Marshall has a better defense than Sanford. I would I would say that. I mean, even their loss last night, when Marshall's losing, they're not getting blown out because teams are just moving the ball up and down the field on them. You know, they're losing because their offense is not that good. And it's never been that good. Notre Dame made it look a lot better than it actually is. You know, Marshall right now is three and three, Ryan. They're giving up 17 points a game. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not losing because of their defense. They lost to Troy 16 to seven. You know, you know what I mean? So uh they, they lost last night 23 to 13. So the, the point is is that you're this is not a good defense. This is a great opportunity for you to get your receivers involved in the game. You have to get your receivers going to where they can be a legitimate threat, and this is the game for that. The speed advantage they have in this game is clear. Mm-hmm. Take advantage of it, right? And so, yes, I need to see him run the football, establish the run, keep building on the run but don't just it's just like it's just like the game a couple weeks ago Ryan against North Carolina don't just play bully ball ball because you can. Right. And he didn't do that. He did a great job. I thought it was one of the better games he's ever called against North Carolina, especially when you consider it's your, you know, first year starting or your starting quarterback's first road game, you know, you're playing a high octane offense. I liked what I saw from him in that game. I want to see something else like. I thought he was aggressive in that game. I thought he was he schemed the heck out of out of North Carolina's defense. I want to see that again against Stanford, and if he does that, I think this team puts up a ton of points, and Ryan, there's really only a couple more keys that are really easy. Uh, Mm -hmm. One is obviously big picture. You got to keep building momentum for this offense. This is a unit that's coming along, but it's not there yet. They beat up a really bad North Carolina defense and left a lot of points on the board. They did did well, relatively well, against a, a solid but relatively average BYU defense and didn't maximize their opportunities again left points on the field this is the game where you've got to take that next step not leave points on the field finish off drives start fast finish off drives all that stuff it not only works for this game but it builds you some momentum for moving forward and that's important and then the fourth one is here's how Stanford beats Notre Dame they turn a the ball over Ugh. that's it I mean to me that, that's it Stanford's not going to out talent or out execute Notre Dame for four quarters I think the only way they can win this game is if Notre Dame just turns it over and just makes mistakes just and that's what costs Notre against Marshall and just turning the ball over giving them short fields giving them points off pick sixes that's the stuff you got to avoid and and especially against a defense that is almost is even worse well I say even worse because you've they force more turnovers but it's as bad as your defense is at forcing turnovers but for different reasons you know they just don't have playmakers. This is a, this is they've what forced two turnovers all year. Yeah, you can't you can't turn a ball over. You got to play clean.
2: And, and I mean, you want to play clean every game, right? Like you don't want to turn the ball over, but especially. And I, I look at this, Brian. It's like you need to run the football really well. You need to not turn the ball over well, uh, turn the ball over at all if you're Notre Dame, or at least very very limited in that regard because it's what Stanford doesn't do well. Right, like they don't turn, they don't force turnovers, they don't stop the run effectively. So this can't be their get right game. You keep talking about it being a get right game for Notre Dame. It also can't be a get right game for Stanford's defensive right. woes. Like that's the biggest thing. It's like what they do bad, leave it there. Don't let them get better at at something that they are very bad at at this moment. Let a weakness stay a weakness. This is not the game where Stanford turns a weakness into a relative strength. This is not the game. If you are a efficient offense that creates some explosive plays and does not turn the football over, I would be very surprised if Notre Dame doesn't blow this team out of the water. That's just point blank to it. Like I think that they are significantly more talented. Now they've been significantly more talented than just about every team on the schedule outside of Ohio State, though, right? So right. you're sitting here at three and two. You should be four and one if it's just based upon talent, right? Right. So I don't so we can't just use the Notre Dame's more talented than they are. Right. Sure, that's absolutely right. But Notre Dame needs to play good football. Like they need to play good, efficient football and not shoot themselves in the foot. I said it last week, right? You're going to be playing a good BYU team last week. You're playing a Stanford team that is struggling. Do not also play against Notre Dame in this game. Mm-hmm. Keep it Notre Dame versus Stanford. It can't be Notre Dame versus Notre Dame in Stanford, right? Do not be your worst enemy. Nope. Do not shoot yourselves in the foot and you will come out with a big victory. That's what I think in this game.
1: Absolutely. We're going to go to the defensive keys next, Ryan. But I mm-hmm. want to remind people we will have a mailbag at the end of this if you want to have them, if you all want to have a mailbag, because mailbags dependent on people giving us questions so if you have some questions uh you want to throw in there you can start doing that now and obviously super chats will definitely get to but if you want to throw any other questions in there we'll get to those after the show is this portion of the show is complete ryan defensively i look at this matchup and this is the side that is a little bit closer in you know from a standpoint of they can do damage to you at times even if you're playing well I mean, they Mm -hmm. they just have, this is the side where they have good enough players. You have an NFL arm talent. Now, is Tanner McKee an NFL quarterback? We're going to find that out over the next couple of years. I think there was a little bit too much, as we talked in the, there's a little bit too much hype put on him after one okay year. Yep. But there's no disputing he has an NFL arm. Sure. Like, there, but there's a lot of guys that were NFL arms that weren't very good quarterbacks. Right. I don't think that's Tanner McKee. I think he's got a lot of talent. I think people just need to pump the brakes and let the kid develop. He went on a mission. He's like, this is the second year back from that. Let's let the kid develop a little bit. But when he's on and he gets a clean pocket, he can hurt you. There are throws he can make in this game where it's like, you can't, there's nothing, you just guys, just deal with it. Don't let the guy score. He's made throws like that in every game they've played so far. Did you see the, uh, it was the first big play they hit against Washington. Washington mm-hmm. guy was in decent coverage, but he just throws a rope right over top of him to Michael Wilson for a big game. You know, it's just yeah. like, okay, yeah. There's not a lot. You, I mean, yeah, do a better job with the press and the transition and all that. But when a kid throws a ball like that, you know, there's not a lot you can do. And, and that's like the first clean pocket he had all game. It was like a yeah. second quarter. Right. That's going to be a key, you know, so the, the, receiver wise, Michael Wilson, when healthy, is a good football player. So the way they're using Elijah Higgins is really smart. He's a weapon. Ben Urisek's a really good football player. You know, there are some guys, uh, Bryson Tremaine is a big, he's not a great receiver, but he's big and he knows it and yes. they can use it. So, you know, there's guys that, that can hurt you if no matter what, I mean, you could defend it perfectly and they're going to hit a couple plays. I get that. They've done, And they've done that every game, right? And they did that against USC. They did that against Washington. They did that against Oregon. They did that against Oregon State. So they're going to hit their plays. You know, you're probably not going to shut them out, right? That would be a shock. They're going to score a little bit, you know, at least at least a little bit. So the cleaner you play, the better chance you have at this being a, a blowout. But this is the side of the ball where if you're making mistakes, they can hurt you even more. And when we talked about turnovers being a key for the Nerdame offense, it's because you don't want to give this offense ch- more chances and chances right. on short fields because they can hurt you. Yep. So, with that in mind, there are to me four keys to victory in this game, right and the first one is a similar theme. we've You've used it almost every week so far because it's really important when you're playing a passing football team that's not great at running the football or a passing football team that is running the football. It's key no matter what. And the first one is, Ryan, they got to shut down the run game. First and foremost, make Stanford play with one hand.
2: Well, my same point that I used on the offensive side of the ball, Brian, I'm going to use on the defensive side of the ball, right? It is a weakness for Stanford right now running the football since... EJ Smith has gotten hurt. It has been very bad. I mean, what was it, 101 yards a game right about since EJ Smith has gotten injured? Last year, it's pretty mirror image to what they're doing since EJ Smith went down with the injury. So, Stanford's not a good running football team. Their offensive line has not been playing very well, and they don't have a game breaking weapon in the backfield at running back right now. They have just a couple solid backs. So, if you're Notre Dame, don't let this be the game where weakness becomes a strength. Like, it's very easy, man. Like, if, if this is a game, where you keep Stanford, what they typically have been doing as a running football team, and you make them one-dimensional and make Tanner McKee try to beat right. you, you feel good about it, right? You feel good about it. But even
1: more so than the last three big-time
2: quarterbacks they've played, Ryan, because yeah. he can't move. Yes.
1: And can't. that's why it makes it even more important in this game. Yeah,
2: no, you're 100% right because, I mean, Drake May is going to make some plays just off of being a good athlete and being as good a quarterback as he is, right? Like, to your point, J- Jared Hall is going to make a couple plays because he's a good imp- improviser and can work outside the pocket. So it's a fantastic point by you. And I would argue that the four of the five best throws that CJ Stroud
1: had against Notre Dame were out of the pocket.
2: Fading to the, the left, out of the, the pocket. the exception
1: of the touchdown pass to, to uh, in the post over the middle, outside of that, the biggest plays he made in that game were out of the
2: pocket. Yep.
1: Tanner McKee's not beating
2: him. you out of the pocket. No. And, and he's especially not beating you. Well, let me rephrase. It makes him less and less, uh, less and less comfortable if he, if they, he's playing with a team that cannot run the football because that's where he becomes the biggest weapon off of play action, right? Like those right. are the moments where it's like this kid can throw the football, man. He's got a good vertical arm. He can push the ball down the football fields. That is accentuated by the ability to run the football. When it's not Isaiah Foskey, Riley Mills, Jason Amalola, and everyone else on the defensive line. You always hear the expression like pin your ears back, take the shackles off and go. That's when you have the opportunity to do it, man. When you know there's not a running threat, when you know you're going to get them into third and long situations, third and eights, third and tens, third and twelves, whatever it can be, you know that there's no run threat anymore, right? So get them into those situations Make them uncomfortable and affect the quarterback in the, in the pocket. This offensive line is not very good, and they're already down two of, their off, two of their better offensive linemen in this football game. You have a quarterback that is not very mobile. Make this a passing game. Don't let the running attack get going in this one because it has not been a strength for Stanford for the last couple of years. Do not allow it to be a strength for this team on Saturday. Yeah.
0: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check.
1: I mean, you've got to dominate it. I mean, because yes. to your point, Ryan, is if you're dominating the run game mm-hmm. with your front and your mic, mm-hmm. and it, then what to your to, to, to I'm, I'm elaborating on, on the point Ryan made because now your safeties don't have to start peeking when they're doing that slow mesh. Right. Right. They don't have to worry about dragging that out, like, oh, okay, what do I do? No, I my guys got that. I'm playing cleanup if I see the back declared, but right now I'm playing this. I'm Mm -hmm. playing this outside. You know, it's like Stanford's version of RPOs. You know what I mean? Like it it actually is RPOs. It's like, it may look like play action. Some of them are play action, but some of them are RPOs. He's going to ride that sucker. And if you, as soon as you commit, he's pulling it and throwing that pose with that deep end behind it, right? They're going to do that. And he's got the arm to execute those plays. If you're dominating the run game, then fine. I mean, try and run it, you know, because we want you to hand the ball off. We don't want you to pull it and throw it. So go ahead. Go ahead and throw it because you're going to hand it off to him and then our Mike's going to come and clean it up or our three technique's going to smash somebody and blow it up or we're going to set the edge. And I mean, that's what you want him to do. What you can't allow to happen is your safeties have to be factors in the run game because your box isn't getting the job done and now all of a sudden he's banging some plays behind you because I don't think Stanford is good enough to consistently move up and down the field on Notre Dame. I agree. Neither team that beat Notre Dame was good enough to do that. Ohio State wasn't good enough to do that. They scored three touchdowns in that game, right? Mm-hmm. They missed a field goal. Maximum would have had 24 points. Marshall wasn't good enough to consistently do that. One of their touchdowns came off of the Notre Dame offense. I mean, really, you've had you've had one opponent score more than 21 points on the defense alone. And what I mean by that is so BYU scored, well, even even, I don't even have to make caveats. You really, you've only had one score, one team score in the 20s on the defense. Marshall Mm -hmm. only scored 19 points, period, on the defense. Their 26 points came because of an offensive touchdown or noted like a defensive touchdown. Then Cal only scored 17 points. Mm -hmm. uh, And then BYU. Right. So the only team that's really done anything like that came down to it was North Carolina scoring some garbage touchdowns late. It was 38 to 14. Game was basically over. Right. And so this is a team, in my opinion, Ryan, that, you know, when they've gotten in trouble, it's because they because of the run game struggling and then you're able to make some big plays down the field. Yeah. Right. And so if you can shut the run game down, play clean football the point I was making is no team has gone up and down the field on them consistently. North Carolina's points were off big plays. North Carolina had one long scoring drive in that game, meaning mm-hmm. like a methodical six to eight play drive at one. And that was the opening drive. And that was the point I was making. BYU's first touchdown came off of a a, a, a punt. Yes. You know, they put like what, one touchdown, like one touchdown drive together because their other touchdown came off of a 53-yard pass. Right. So that's the point is teams just aren't consistently moving the ball up and down the field on Notre Dame. And so you've got to be able to you've got to be able to limit those big plays. And you do that by making them one dimensional. And then part of this leads into part two. Part of making them one dimensional is you're dominating with the box, because Mm -hmm. if you're dominating the run game with the box is an easy transition to pressuring the quarterback. We saw that against North Carolina. Notre Dame did a great job of of dominating the North Carolina ground attack with the box. They weren't blitzing safeties. They weren't blitzing six guys. They were bringing one backer in their 4D lineman, and they blew up the run game, which then naturally transitions into, if you're getting a great push against the run, then you're also getting a great push against the pass, and that's how you impact the quarterback. Because as you made the point yesterday, and mm-hmm. I went and re-watched the game again last night, and just... The way that Washington just ate Stanford up, like, just with their pass rush, I mean, there was no chance for Tanner McKee to to keep them in that game. None. And not because of Tanner McKee, just because, I mean, like, this isn't a knock on Drew Pine I'm, or saying I wouldn't like it to happen. I'm just making a point. If Tanner McKee was playing behind the offensive lines that and had at the time that Drew Pines got the last two games, his numbers would be a, a, a tremendous right now. Mm -hmm. He'd be putting up 350, 360. I mean, he'd be putting up big-time numbers if he had that kind of time, Ryan, because, I mean, he's putting up good numbers now, and -hmm. he's just constantly getting harassed, constantly. And you've got to make sure that that continues.
2: Brian, I mean, Washington is the blueprint, right? You want to talk about getting pressure with with minimal numbers, right? Like, they're rushing four all day, man. Like, they're not bringing five. They're not bringing six. Washington was just like, hey – Braylon Trice, Jeremiah Martin, Zion, ZTF, however you pronounce his last name, like their dudes are just better than our dudes, right? I mean, better, our dudes are just better than your dudes. Like that's what they said against Stanford. And Stanford even had Walter Rouse in that game who was who yeah. was playing, and he was getting absolutely just – they were taking his lunch money, right? Yeah. And that's the formula, right? It's not going to look the same because Notre Dame is a different football team who wins in different ways. But you have to be able to win your one on ones up front, man. Like you have to be able to dominate. I mean, that's what Washington did against Stanford, man. Like but Tanner McKee had no time. He had, and even when he had time, he was still getting pressured. Like that's that is the formula. Washington showed it. And honestly, Notre Dame's all defensive line is as talented as Washington's is. It is Isaiah Foskey's better than I like. Brandon Trace a lot. I think he's a really good football player. Isaiah Fosky's better, though. He's a better yeah. football player, just flat out. So if Washington can do that against that, defense, against that offensive line for Stanford, Notre Dame has no – there's no reason that Notre Dame can't do the same. Minimal numbers, attack, be physical, dominate the line of scrimmage. That is the recipe for success for Notre Dame every single game. But in this game especially, when you're looking at both fronts for Stanford, they Notre Dame has a clear advantage on both sides of the ball, and they have to make it that way. That is the key.
1: My my expression there, Ryan, was not disagreeing with what you were saying. It just was remembering about how close Notre Dame was to getting Braylon Trice out of Arizona. They really wanted him. He's, they wanted him in Foskins really in class man. and really he picked good. Washington instead. That's why Jimmy Jimmy Lake Jimmy Lake hurt Notre Dame a lot during his tenure, yeah. taking away yeah. guys they wanted. He took away Kyler Gordon, who Notre Dame really Mike Elko loved Kyler Gordon. He wanted him so bad. They wanted Braylon Trice, Asa Turner. Now, Asa Turner hasn't panned out, but Kyler Gordon was really good. And yep. Braylon Trice has been really good this year for them so far. So, you know, what's he played six games, he's got seven seven tackles for loss, four and a half sacks. You know, and two of them came against Stanford.
2: So he's, he's, a, very, really
1: good, he's a really good football player. He's really been
2: football. very disruptive this year, man, yep. very disruptive. He's up to like 6'4", 270 as yeah. well. He's a big, big yeah. kid. Yep. Ryan,
1: the other key, the next key to me
2: is you've got to win on the
1: outside, mm-hmm. and 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 the first place we mean this is in the pass game, right? You mm-hmm. cannot look. Stanford will hit; they're going to hit a couple throws in the perimeter. They will. Sure, they're sure. going to win a couple jump balls. You know, but I like the kind of the way the way you explained it to me about it. So, like to me when so, but just you explain what it means and then what the success needs to look like. But when we first talk about winning on the outside, it's the corner matchups against the receiver matchups on the perimeter.
2: Yeah. So I, I think that for me, when you have the the type of size that Stanford has, right? 6'3", 234, Elijah Higgins, 6'5", John Humphreys, 6'4", Bryson Tremaine, 6'2", 210, Michael Wilson. Like there's a lot of size, obviously, and they have the ability to win at the catch point, win in the air. And you usually hear the, the phrase 50-50 balls, right? So that's, you know, 50-50, 50% of the time, why are receiver's going to come down for it? I don't like that. I don't like that moniker because I think that it's actually much more in the offense's favor, especially with how the game's played today. I would say they're more 70 to 30, 80 mm-hmm. to 20 balls, right? Like more often than not, if you put it in the right spot, Elijah Higgins is probably going to be in a 5'11, six-foot yep. corner for the football, right? In this game, though, you have to make it 50-50, right? Because to your point, Brian they're going to make some plays, man. They're not bad football players, right? And they have size, they have strong hands, they have leaping ability. They're going to make some plays on you. But if you make it closer to 50-50 where Notre Dame's able to counteract and limit their impact in those in those regards, because I do think that if Notre Dame gets a decent amount of pressure on them, Tanner McKee's going to have to let that ball go early. And mm-hmm. if you're letting that ball go early, that says, like, hey, he's probably just putting it up in a general spot and letting a guy trying to go get the football. So – limit the impact, make it a more 50-50 contested catch or better. I mean, if you make it better, then you're going to blow this team out because that is where they have the clear advantage, not clear advantage from a talent perspective, but clear advantage from a length perspective, from a a size perspective. Their wide receivers are always going to be bigger than Notre Dame's cornerbacks. Can't Mm -hmm. change that, right? But what you can change is the results. And if your process is good, if you play through the hands, you play physical, you're competitive – if you can keep it to 50-50 or best in, or better in Notre Dame's favor, then they're going to have a hard time winning the they're going to have a hard time moving the football because that is where their advantage is. It's what
1: That's sides. been their offense all year. I mean, yeah. I, well, let me rephrase. Since EJ Smith went out, that's been their offense. That's been their only offense. To me, there's four ways to stop this from being a 70-30 proposition. Number yeah. 1, the pass rush. So we talked about. Now, that doesn't mean sacking them. It can also mean you're getting it's like they didn't sack Jaron Hall the first play of the game. What was Stanford trying to or what was BYU trying to do in the first play of the game? Hey, we see a five foot 10 corner out there against our six foot plus corner or receiver. And so we're just going to drop back, take shot. And Tariq did a nice job of getting leverage. And he, you know, but but the reason that ball floated is the pass rush. Right. It's a a lot harder to be accurate when you're got a guy in your face. Right. I mean, that's not a knock on. I mean, that's that's true for any quarterback. I mean, that's not just true for, you know, Jaron Hall or I mean, that's true for everybody. That's true for all quarterbacks. And so, you know, to me, when when you're when you're able to get pressure on a guy, that's kind of that that's where you can have start have some success. That's number one. Pressure is, is number one. Number two, there has to be a level of physicality. And a lot of people view physicality as like just jamming them at the line. That that's not really. I mean, that's it. If that's your thing, Notre Dame doesn't have any great jam guys, right? They don't have any guys that are just great at that. Physicality, to me, I would rather have a guy who is physical through and through the transition than a guy who's physical with his initial punch and then doesn't finish through the transition. And that's what happened to Washington a couple times. They got beat is they gave a really nice attempt at a jam, but then as soon as the transition happened, they lost him. We yeah. talked about that yesterday. You know, being able to look. You know, being able to kind of, you know, just as you look back for the ball, just you got to feel it out. You have got to stick. You got got to be kind of stay engaged through the look back, right? And the same thing here is like you got to be physical through the transition when you're when you're going. Don't lose them. Keep a hand on them because then it makes it harder for him to number one be in position. You can get that guy close to the sideline where he catches that ball on you, but he steps out of bounds, right? Because you're not letting him get clean. And yes, the press can do that. But make them go wide with their alignment by being more up in your coverage, which is what I like about playing maybe more cover two type of looks. Even if you're going to rotate out of it, but playing more cover two type of looks, make them go width to get around you, number one. But then if you're also physical through the transition, you leave them a very, very small window to actually get in bounds. Because the key isn't always breaking up the pass, Ryan. The key is, yeah, he caught it on you, but he caught it out of bounds. And 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 so that's the key. So number one, the the physicality, the other part of this that's very important is leverage. Mm -hmm. And I think when you you, what you can't do is you can't get ahead of the receivers, right? If if Tanner McKee's gonna beat you because he dropped 15 dimes over the top, 40 yards down the field that you couldn't defend, okay, more power to you, kid. What you don't want to let him do is get easy 20 yard gains because you out you try you get too far ahead with your leverage, and then you let him just complete those easy back shoulders. What you can't do is if he's going to beat you on 50-50 balls, it has to be over your head, up and over your head. That's a much lower completion rate pass than a back shoulder where he's able to actually turn his hips and you're out in front because you've lost leverage. So I think Mm -hmm. leverage for corners is very important, especially if you're also able to be physical through the transition. And then the final piece is finish. Yeah. And this is especially true for Cam Hart and Benjamin Morrison to have a little bit more length, right? As they're bringing that ball down, punch through it. You know, yes. Yeah. And, you you know, you may only knock a couple out, but if you can knock a couple out there, but then force a couple incompletions because you had good leverage, force a couple incompletions because the guy didn't have enough room and bounds, and then you're going to force a couple completions, you know, some incompletions because of the pressure. All of a sudden, you just start adding up all those incompletions and the efficiency is gone. And mm-hmm. that's the key, right? Yeah. And so those are the four keys to me to winning on the outside uh, from a, from a defensive standpoint. And then of course there's, you could add in like, there's times where you have help over the top. Those are all important things. Sure. You know, but just as far as just when you're talking about the corner, the cornerback and the defense as a whole having pressure without having to scheme it is, is kind of where, where you go. So the last one, Ryan, get the ball. This (laughs) is a team that turns the ball over a lot. Notre Notre Dame's got to have a breakout game. And, yep. and where they just get the ball and, it, you know, they just, they got to have it. They've got to have it.
2: I, I, I like your, your philosophy on maybe more cover two looks this week, Brian, because I'm a big fan of playing against I'm a big fan of playing zone coverage against a team that has shown a proclivity to turning the football over. Right. Let's get our eyes back to the line of scrimmage, back to the quarterback and let him make mistakes, man. Like at the end of the day, this Stanford team has shown that when pressed, when pressured, They will make some mistakes. Tanner McKee is going to make some throws on Saturday that you're just going to go like, wow, man, that's like an NFL-level quarterback to your point, right? Mm -hmm. The kid has a great arm. But then he's going to make some decisions that you're going to go, oh, doesn't handle pressure very well, right? When those things happen, things tend to go south pretty quickly. So if you're going to mix in more zone, perfect. You're going to place a man perfect that works i don't you know, i'd want it to be a multiple kind of look from a coverage perspective but playing a little bit more zone this week i think can give you a big opportunity to make, create some turnovers cuz i think most people kind of they think oh those man to man cover guys are the ones that get interceptions that's not really the case usually usually the guys that get a lot of interceptions are the zone heavy players that have good vision the whole time they can see where the football is going they can see the route concepts that are breaking in front of them they can see what a quarterback is trying to do against them so having that good eye discipline that good eye uh, manipulation to their advantage I think Notre Dame's got a big opportunity to create a couple big plays in the past game especially but just overall man it's not been great for Notre Dame so far forcing turnovers let Stanford do what they do bad though what they do poorly yeah. man they are not a very they're not a very efficient offense with not turning the football over they'll turn the ball over. Force them into those bad mistakes. Pressure, good eyes.
1: Last one special teams, and and we saw exactly what we're talking about last week. Yep. Don't give up cheap points. Don't be the reason you give up cheap points. You know, we talk a lot about the mistakes of the defense and the missed opportunities by the offense, but the reality is this BYU's first touchdown came off of a bad punt return coverage, yep. you know, and, and you've got to do a better job there. Lorenzo Styles got to do a better job getting off the block, right? The other the you've got to have better discipline. You, you, can't outkick the coverage. If you're going to kick at 65 yards, you better kick it high in 65 yards. Not a line, you know, not a line drive where a guy catches it and there's not anybody within 15 20 yards of him. That's not good. Right? Oh, great leg. Yeah, okay, that great leg just cost you 50 yards.
2: He's trying right? to break the Notre Dame yes. average record, okay? Yeah. He's trying to yeah. break it.
1: Yeah, it's fine. Break the Notre Dame, you know, what, what what's the uh there's it's, it's, gross it's, gross net punt. Yes, punts. yes yeah. net punt, right? The yeah. the net punt. Yes. Went set the net punt record. That's what I care more about. <laughs> Right, yeah, and that's yeah. something Jay Bramlett was pretty good at. Jay didn't have a great leg, but at Notre Dame and, and he w- when when he was consistent, you just didn't get a lot of returns on Jay Bramlett. You know, I mean, that was the thing is because he just get it high and it'd be like a forty one yard punt, but the net was forty one too because they were they were fair catching it. And that's something that John Sot has been very good this year. There's just been a couple times where it's like, you know, hey man, like get a little bit more air on that sucker, lose ten yards of distance because you got more hang time, and that's going to be a case.
2: I feel like Tyler Newsom was really good at that, wasn't it? I feel like his net average—he was, really was a time,
1: good. his net average was good because they had great coverage, yeah. And he kicked that sucker super high. But he was—he would also just kick one where not only would he outkick the coverage, he'd outkick the returner. I mean, that's the difference between what John Sott and Tyler Newsom is. Ty, John is way more consistent than Tyler, but yeah. Tyler had a bazooka for a leg. Yeah, but the he reason did. he hasn't really been able to stuck stick in the NFL is because he had a very inconsistent leg. You know, mm-hmm. where, like, sometimes he'd kick a 65-yard line drive that you can return. The other time he'd just kick the – he'd kick it 65 yards and it just would go over your head and then just roll for, like, a 75-yard <laughs> punt and it's like, okay, that's a great job, right? So, you know, he, but he had a – I mean, but when Tyler Newsom was right, he could kick it 50, 50, 55 yards in with great hang time. Yeah. And you just get down there and, you know, it helps with your net punt average, but he was just really inconsistent. Like the t- Clemson game in 2015, just – Backed up, kicks it out, goes like 10 yards, and they get the ball at the 25-yard line going in. You know, he just would have – and then the next time he'd kick it, it'd go like 80 yards. You know, it, just, it was really inconsistent. <laughs> but I I liked Tyler Newsom because he was a tough kid. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. he was a tough – I mean, he'd go down and make a tackle. He was, I mean, he worked hard. He's a He's a pretty, he was guy. a pretty good athlete for yeah. a punter, man. He was a yeah, yeah, He, good was. he yeah. was. He was. But you just got to play clean on special teams in this game. It, it, it goes back to kind of what we said in the last point on offense is – don't make mistakes that let them let. Don't let make mistakes and let an inferior opponent stay in the game or possibly pull off an upset. Right, that's the key. You, you can't. You can't do that. You can't do that.
2: Yep. Don't shoot yourself in the foot, man. That's what happened last week. To your point, right, Brian? Like you gave up that punt return, and Notre Dame's defense even played tough after that, man. Like you didn't yeah. score until a fourth and goal, right? Right. So I mean, yeah. Don't a questionable fourth and goal. Yes, or very
1: much maybe so. might have been able to throw some flags on that play on the offense. Yes. You know, oh, yeah. let's be honest. Oh, yeah. yeah. So Ryan, uh, obviously, that's the keys to victory for Notre Dame. This is a game that Notre Dame should win. This is a game Notre Dame should win comfortably. But it's mm-hmm. also a game where, you know, they they just have to, man, they just have to play clean. I just want to see a four quarter game. I do. I and for me, a four-quarter game is what you do to the moment you take your starters out. I mean, because sometimes like, well, they didn't play a four-quarter game. Yeah, I kind of did. I mean, you know, the fourth quarter was with the backups. They got a score on the backups. Like, I don't really count right. that, you know. But like, right. I just, you know, that didn't happen because North, North Carolina, the mistakes were happening to the starters. Mm-hmm. You know, they couldn't get to the backups because of what the starters were doing. So you want to you want to avoid those type of things. We're going to have a mailbag next. It's probably not going to be a long one because we don't have a lot of questions. But before we get to the mailbag, Ryan, I just want to remind people that we have a 6 o'clock show tonight. IB Nation Sports Talk will be tonight. We will, You and I will be back tomorrow for our prediction show. We'll, have, we'll talk Notre Dame and, uh, and, and Stanford. And Ladarius keeps coming into the chat, wanting to talk about Alabama all the time because he's an Alabama fan. Well, tomorrow, Ladarius, I promise you we're going to spend some time talking about Alabama. I'm going to be gonna sick talk- tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk about Alabama, Tennessee, Michigan, Penn State. And there's so many great games this weekend, right? Oklahoma State, TCU, ton mm-hmm. of great games that we're going to discuss tomorrow as well. Uh, so we're going to have a lot of that. Saturday, 10 to noon, Vince and Sean are going to have the IB, Nation, uh, IB, uh, IB countdown to kickoff from 10 to noon. And then, of course, at 3.30, we're going to go live for a very, very special edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. We are going to want as many people that are at the game, tailgating, in town, whatever the case may be, you're going to be there. We're going to be over by the administration building, which is the Golden Dome. Uh, so you're going to want to come find us. We won't be that hard to find Uh, because you're going to want to be there for the special announcement that we have planned for Saturday. So it's, I've almost slipped up on it like four times in the last couple (laughs) of days. So I got to be very, very careful. So you're going to want to check all that stuff out. And of course, hit the like button, hit the subscribe, hit the notification bell, share the podcast. Uh, Also want to give a heads up to people. uh, We have officially removed PayPal from all of our platforms. If you are currently a PayPal member, please reach out to me. I'm going to email everybody that's a PayPal member soon because we are going to eventually transition completely away from PayPal. So if you're paying through PayPal now, it's fine for now, but by no later than the end of the year, I'd like to kind of get it sooner done as we will be completely removed from PayPal for just a a lot of different reasons. So I just want to give everybody a heads up on that. So if you get an email from me saying about this. It's not the first time you've heard about it. So I just wanted to let folks know about that as well. So Ryan mailbag is going to come next, but if you're listening via podcast platform, before you go over to the mailbag show, give us a five-star review. We would greatly appreciate it. And we had a bunch of new videos up today on the CFB nation channel Uh, The guys did a great job breaking down. They talked about Matt Rule possibly coming back to college, his fits. Talked about UCLA, Dorian Thompson-Robinson being a Heisman candidate, which I know Ryan doesn't want to hear. But the fact is, so far, the results are what they are, whatever you think about a kid. Uh, Talked about Texas. You know, Can Quinn Ewers and Arch Manning kind of be the final thing that kind of puts Texas over the top and Texas is back? We'll see. Still a lot to prove, but some good signs lately. Just a lot of great stuff you're going to want to check out. So that's CFB Nation on YouTube. You can also subscribe to the CFB Nation channel via podcast, which we would greatly appreciate as well and uh, help continue to grow us there. So uh, that'll be it for this edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast.